And uh, we don't have Kids Club this week, but the, the following Friday, so if you have kids aged around 5 to 10, um, let them know about it and ask them to, to come on out. You're there at Mark chapter 10. Uh, hold your finger there. And uh, we just want to do a little bit of review. But first, before we do that, uh, I'd like to ask you a couple questions. How would your daily life be affected if you did not have a left hand? All right? So, so just think through this. You wake up tomorrow morning, let's pretend, and you don't have a left hand. How drastically would your life be affected? All right, let's think about this. How drastically would your life be affected tomorrow morning if you woke up, you didn't have a left hand, and you didn't have a right foot? How drastically would your schedule change? Let's add on top of that. Let's, let's not just say hand and foot, but let's say you didn't have legs or arms. How drastically would your life be affected? Brother Benji and I were talking yesterday, we were listening to a podcast about a, a child in India. She was left at a hospital, and uh, I guess the reason she was left is because she had no legs, no arms, and the parents didn't see how they could take care of this child, so they, they left it at a hospital. They talked about, well, what do we do with this child? And uh, so the decision was, I, if I understood correctly, they would feed it little by little, decreasing how much they fed it until it slowly starved away. And uh, this man, a Christian man in this hospital, he was the, the junior on the, the staff team. He was just doing his internship. Youngest guy in the room, he, he gets up, we can't do that. So they look at him and they say, well, you do something about it. And so he took time, to, a couple days, to travel north to found an orphanage, a Christian orphanage in India. And he took this little child there and a Christian from the U.S. came over, found this child, took it back. And that child is now in its 50s, I believe. Um, but think about it. What, what would your life be like? What, how difficult would your life be if you didn't have an arm, a leg, your nose? Just start removing some of your, your body parts. How difficult will life be? I want you to think about that thought. Hold that thought in the back of your mind. And we'll come back to that later. But uh, right now, I want to go to a little bit of review from the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about the idea of purpose. And we started out with the big five questions of life, the questions that all of humanity has always asked ever since the beginning of time. And uh, who can tell us, what is the first question? Can anybody shout out, what was the first question? The question of origins. Where do we come from? And the idea there is either we came from evolution, chance, where there is no ultimate purpose, your life doesn't have ultimate meaning, or we're created by God. We're created on purpose for a purpose. And that means we have a purpose. We have value in our life. What's the second question? The second question was, who or what are we? And we talked about the fact that we are, yes, we're physical beings, but we're also spiritual beings. And the most intrinsic aspect of the human, the most valuable part of a human being is our soul, that ability we have to relate to God. And so we ought to focus on the spiritual primarily before the physical. The next question was, why am I here? This is the question of purpose. This is really what we're driving at through this series. Why in the world 
are you alive? Why on earth are you here? And the simple answer to that is we are here for God's glory. We're here to please God. We were created by God. We were created as spiritual individuals that can have a relationship with God. And so we were created for God's glory. And one of the things that glorifies God is when we relate to God, we have a personal relationship with Him. We also talked about the, fa- the, the question, where are we going? The question of destiny. And we, we mentioned how human beings, we messed up. God put us in a, a beautiful environment, the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, and they went against God. They rejected the purpose that they were created for. And so here's the thing. We're all born into this state where we are rejecting the purpose that we were created for, which means that we're headed down a, a dismal slope. Even the best we can do apart from God is, is, is uh, destruction. That's the end goal because we've rejected God, the giver of life. The only result is, the only, the only alternative is death. Separation from God, loss of purpose. And then we last looked at the last question, what can I do? The last question, uh, what can we do to get back onto purpose? Well, we've got to come back to God. Essentially, basically, it's saying we've got to come back to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I messed up, I went the wrong way. And we have to turn to Him through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, who was buried, who rose again, so that we could be restored to our purpose in God. So that's what we looked at in the first message. And then last week we talked about God's purpose for every Christian. If you have come back to God and you've made things right with God, you've gotten a relationship with God right, then Jesus is working in your life to make you like himself. And don't forget that. If you know Jesus Christ personally, if you've made that commitment to him in your life personally, he is doing a wonderful work in you to, to get rid of the sin, to get rid of your selfishness, and to make you like Jesus. Pure, holy, loving. What an amazing thought. So today we want to build on that foundation. So if our purpose as Christians is to be like Jesus, since this is true, we need to adopt Jesus' purpose statement, his life's purpose statement. Now, how many of you have a life's purpose statement? You've actually written out a purpose statement for your life. Don't raise your hand. But I want to ask you, how many of you actually have done that? Did you know that Jesus Christ had a purpose statement? It's in Mark chapter 10. Go to verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is Jesus Christ, and he's giving, he's telling his disciples his purpose statement. It says, For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his words this morning. Father, we thank you for this word, the Bible, and the power that it has, Lord, to change lives, to change hearts. And we pray, Lord, that this morning, your glory, that your power, that your wisdom will be clearly seen through the pages of Scripture. And we pray that you would take this time, Lord, use it for your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ's purpose statement was to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. Basically, his life's goal was to sacrifice and to serve. I like going to the Shrine of Remembrance 
Anybody been to the Shrine Rooms? Probably most of us, I would assume, have been down there. I like going up there, and you go in that big room toward the top, and you see that, that big stone there, and it's got some words engraved on the stones. Anybody know, know the stone I'm talking about? It says, greater love hath no man. You know the verse, yeah. It's, it's, it's from the scriptures. It's quoting Jesus. That, that memorial remembers soldiers who gave their life so others could have freedom, gave their life for their country. Jesus Christ, he gave his life, a great sacrifice of service, so that we could be free from sin. And that was his purpose. That's why he came to this earth. Jesus, or God wants us to be like Jesus. He wants us to adopt Jesus' purpose statement. He wants us to give our life in sacrifice and service. And for those of us who are believers, he wants us to use our spiritual gifts in his church to accomplish his purposes. So we want to look at three aspects this morning. Sacrifice, service, and spiritual gifts. God wants us to sacrifice and to serve using our spiritual gifts. This is our purpose in life. If you are a believer, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's your purpose for life. To sacrifice, to serve, and to use your spiritual gifts in His church to accomplish God's purposes. So, part one, let's look at our purpose in Christ. God wants us to sacrifice. God wants us to sacrifice. What does the word sacrifice mean? Well, you know the picture here, right? This is referring to to the Old Testament where they would take a a sheep or an ox or an animal and they would would actually slaughter that animal. They would put that thing up on the altar. They They would roast that animal right there in the temple. The idea of sacrifice, at the very core idea of sacrifice, is death. Now, not the most pleasant way to start out the message. But when we think about it, what did Jesus do? Go back to Mark 10.45. It says, For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, that's to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That was to die on the cross. So in two ways, Jesus died here on earth. Number one, he died to self. He ministered. He gave himself for others. In, in, In his life, he was giving his time his attention, his focus to other people. So in that sense, he was dying daily. But ultimately, he gave his life to die on the cross. So Jesus Christ is is our example, and he's not asking us to do something he wasn't willing himself to do. Go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We're going to first note the sacrifice of Christ. It was a sacrifice of love. And this is referring to his death. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. So here it is. We are called to follow Jesus' example. What is his example? It says in verse 2, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a, what's that word? Sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So here's the deal. We as unbelievers, born in our sin, we, we stank to God. 
All right, we were liars, little cheaters, backstabbers, gossipers, unkind, selfish people, all right? Every person that's born, that's, that's the kind of person you are. There's maybe some that are worse than others, but we're all sinners. We all have that bent toward wrong, all right? And that stinks to God. So if I could get Brother Tim, would you mind helping me with a, a little illustration here? Up here, yeah. Brother Tim is a—he's a farm boy. All right, you grew up on the farm, sure, is that? All right. So we're gonna pretend, uh, Brother Tim, that you have been out in the field yes. all day long. You have been working, sweating uh, in the field. You've been tending to to the sheep, the uh, the pigs. You, you you have pigs at this farm, cows. You've gotten the chicken manure on your face. You know they were in the coop and they dropping. You have been in the thick of it all day long. All right? Not smelling very sweet. You don't smell very sweet. Definitely not. And so he is about to go home and see his dear wife, Sam, and he wants to embrace her. And, and she is not so much in that. She's, she's repulsed, right? All right? I can smell myself. So this is, this is the idea. We as sinners, we're repulsive. God says, no, no, no. I'm not letting that into, into heaven. That's not coming into my presence. That would ruin heaven. So what, is, what does Jesus do? Well, Sam lovingly looks at Tim and says, Look, I would love to give you a hug. I would love to welcome you. We haven't seen you all day. But first, I want you to go to the shower. Take off those dirty clothes. Get cleaned up. Maybe put on some, some deodorant, something to, to make you smell better. All right, so Jesus comes into our life. When we invite him into our life, we, we admit we're wrong, that we need him. He comes in, and he's like the shower. He's like the, the new clothes. He's like the, 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 the good smell. He cleans it up. So then there can be the reunion. There can be the coming together. Thank you, Brother Tim. Thank you. I smell much better. He smells much better, yes. <laughs> That's what Jesus Christ did for us. It says that he, he gave himself an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He took our sin on him, and when he died, he took that sin away from us. That if we will trust in him, if we will acknowledge, yes, Jesus, you have taken my sin away. And I, I want to receive you as my Savior. And he comes into our life and he makes us a sweet-smelling savor to God. So that we can be acceptable in God's sight. That's what Jesus Christ did. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ to clean you up so that you can be acceptable to God then do that today. And it's not a work of, of your own effort. You can't do enough good to be clean in God's sight. You just simply have to come to Jesus and trust Him. And He wants to come into your life and He wants to change you and make you more like Himself. So Jesus sacrificed. His sacrifice was a sacrifice of death. But then second of all, notice the sacrifice of Christ's life. Now, let me just walk through several different things here. We won't go to specific passages of Scripture, but let's just talk about some ways that Christ, through His life, lived a life of sacrifice. Uh, so first off, uh, let's think about, so Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 15, it talks about Jesus' baptism. And I'm going to look over there. You can turn there if you want to. We'll be flipping to several different pages. But Matthew chapter 3, Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. Now, John the Baptist says something interesting as Jesus comes to him. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan, unto John, that's the Jordan River, 
to be baptized of him. So he's going to be baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Verse 14 says, And John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? So John the Baptist is recognizing who Jesus is. Jesus is God the Son. He's God in human flesh. And he says, no, 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 no. Why are you coming to be baptized of me? I need to be baptized of you. But notice what Jesus says. It says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it or permit it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And then John baptized him. And think about this. Jesus Christ didn't need to be baptized. He's God. But even he submitted himself to this, this ordinance so that he could set an example, so that he could minister, so he could do the purpose that God wanted for him. He didn't need to submit himself, to humble himself, to be baptized by John the Baptist. No, but he did so. He said, so it, be, it becometh, or it's a fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Think about this. Right after his baptism, Jesus is led away into the wilderness to be tempted. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Then Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Jesus didn't need to subject himself to that. He didn't need to put himself into temptation's way. But he did. And he overcame all of those temptations. And now we can look back at Jesus and we can say, Jesus was tempted at all points like as we were, yet without sin. And he sets an example for us by using God's word to defeat temptation. But he didn't need to subject himself. He's God. Mark chapter 1, verse 33. I'm going to flip over there. This is, this is very interesting to me. It says... And this, we're talking about Jesus. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. So here he is. He's healing many people. Notice when this started. It said it started at even. So the sun's about to go down. And then they, they start to people come out of nowhere. To be healed. And so he's healing, assumably, late into the night. He's healing people. He's, he's working. And then notice what it says in verse 35. In the morning, rising up a great while before day. So he had a late night. And he rises up a great while before day. So he has an early morning. What does he do? He went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. So here he is. He had a late night. People crowding in, coming, coming to be healed. And then he has an early morning. He can't even get a moment to himself, it seems like. He has to sacrifice sleep in order to minister to these people. He sacrificed sleep. Go over to, if you go over to John chapter 4, read the story. Jesus at the, the well. Uh, there he is sitting at the, the well, fatigued. He's tired from his journey. Uh, he says to the, the woman at the well, give me, I thir he's thirsty. Um, they went to get food for him, his disciples, so he's hungry. 
This is God, the great God of the universe, subjecting himself to human needs and uh, desires, physical desires. And then what's interesting, you have a man here at this well. He's tired, thirsty, hungry, but he's talking to this woman, and her life's a wreck. She's been a, a cast out by society. She's lonely. She's hurting inside. And he actually talks to her. And he actually wants to give her hope and joy and peace in her life. And the disciples come back, and they have food now. They have food for him. So, assumably, he's tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And what does he say in verse 32? They said, hey, Master, eat. Verse 32, he says, but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. He's basically saying here, no, 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 I'm in the middle of work. I'm in the middle of doing ministry, serving others. I don't have time to eat now. When you're hungry, tired, and thirsty, it's pretty hard to pass up a nice meal, right? When it's presented to you. But Jesus had a different a different take on things. He had a spiritual outlook. You might have heard of the famous inventor Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison was a unique individual, to say the least. When he got on an invention uh, that he was just enthralled with, he was like a, he was like a bloodhound on the, on the trail of a, a raccoon or something. He wasn't going to let go. Uh, his wife would have to send over dinner to him. It's like she had to, she had to make sure he was going to eat he wouldn't go home at night. He would uh, roll up on a bench and sleep for 15 minutes, catch a little break, and then he'd get back into work. He would work relentlessly, and he would push his workers, his assistants, to go, 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 go. Why? Because just like Jesus, Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Thomas Edison, he had a passion. He had a meat to eat that most other people didn't know about. Do you have that same passion spiritually speaking, that drives you to serve and to minister to others. Even when you're tired, you're hungry, you're thirsty. Because Jesus Christ was in tune with the Holy Spirit. He was in tune with the spirit of service and of sacrifice. And he realized that his purpose for being on earth was to give, not to get. So Jesus Christ sets a beautiful example for us as someone who sacrificed. And the Bible admonishes us as believers to sacrifice as well. Romans 12, 1-2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, some of you know the next word, sacrifice, Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We are called to do the same thing that Jesus did, to be a living sacrifice, daily sacrificing our needs and wants, our time for the help and service of others. And notice it says that it's your reasonable sacrifice. Jesus Christ gave his all for us. It's only reasonable that we give our all back to Him. So God wants us to sacrifice ourselves for Him. 
Jesus' purpose was to sacrifice and to serve. He is our example, so we ought to live a life of sacrifice. We also ought to live a life of service as well. So let's look at service. What did Jesus teach and model us about service? We'll go over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10. We reference Jesus being led away into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The devil tries to seduce him with position and power. This is what the devil says to Jesus. And he saith to him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship him. And so he had gone up, he had shown him all the kingdoms of the world. And the glory of all these kingdoms, he said, I'll give you all of this if you fall down and worship me. What does Jesus respond? Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou, what's that word? Serve. So Jesus taught and modeled, first of all, about service. Serve God, not another. Serve God and not another. You might think, oh, that's, that's, that's obvious. I don't, I don't serve the devil. That's, that's foolish. But we have to stop and think. What do we serve put ahead of God? Stop and think about that. What gets in the way of you and your time with God in His Word? What gets in the way of you and your time with God in prayer? You know, God has given us His Word. This is life. It's bread. The Bible talks about this is God's Word. Is, it's like food that nourishes your soul. And how, how oftentimes, though, we, we forget that. And we allow other trivial things to get in the way of our spending time with God and His Word. Prayer, communing with God, rejuvenates your soul. It fills you with the potential to, to serve and to, to influence lives for God. And so often we get busy doing other things. We serve other things rather than serving God and His purposes. So Jesus taught us, first of all, serve God and not another. What things do you serve rather than God? Second of all, Matthew chapter 6. Go over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. You know, how many times, how many people have made decisions based on finance that have looked back to regret those decisions? People that gave their life to work just so they could build a, a, a big empire. How many CEOs in the world have been divorced, estranged from their children, have a, a personal life that's a wreck because they gave their life to work, to make a lot of money. You know, there was a, a study done. They had two groups of people. One group said, uh, I'm going to, first of all, seek in life as I get started in life. These were younger people. I'm going to, first of all, seek to set my finances, 
get my finances in order, and then I will work to achieve my dreams, my, my goals, my aspirations. There's another group that said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out and set to, to, to achieve my goals and my aspirations. I'll worry about the finances later. Uh, that's not my priority. What was interesting, that looking at the people that set out to be financially successful in the world's eyes, I believe it was only one in that group, after a certain amount of time, had actually achieved a, a financial goal that they had set out for. The people that set out to accomplish their, their dreams first actually ended up being far more financially successful. They were focused on things that really mattered. And as a Christian, we give our life to serve finances. And then we look back on our life, and, and what does it matter? Yeah, we have a nice car, we have a, a big house, we have, but we robbed ourselves of relationships. Time invested into other people. We're actually much more poor relationally, spiritually, than we would have been if we had said, you know what, I'm going to worry about the money later. I'm going to do what God wants. I'm going to focus on the spiritual things. I'm going to focus on, on relationships in my life. You're there in Matthew chapter 6. Look down to verse 20, uh, 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things, that's referring to the, the needs of life. Food, clothing, the, the, the things that we need to live and, and sustain our life. If we seek first God's kingdom, righteousness, peace, love, we seek first building relationships with others so that we can share the gospel, so that we can take the message of Christ to more and more people, Guess what? God's promise to you is you don't have to worry about your finances. How many of you go to bed at night worried about finances? You don't have to. You don't have to. You simply have to put God first and seek His kingdom. Look, I know this is true personally. I gave up a nice job in Pensacola, Florida, comfortable income, to live on faith, essentially. My, my salary is supplied by, by God through the, the, the free will gifts of His people. I haven't worried about finances. Sure, once in a while, the thought comes, but I've learned that God is far more capable of taking care of me than I am of myself. I don't worry about money. I want to worry about extending the kingdom of God, doing God's work. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. My little contribution to, to my income at Pensacola was far less than the resources God has. I'm in much better hands placing myself by faith in the hands of God than to try to do it myself. So I want to challenge you. I really want to challenge you with this. Don't serve God, not affluence. 
We live in Australia. It's an affluent society. We think I got to have bigger cars. I got to have all these things. Like, we, no. Change your mindset. And think about your life and say, what do I need to do to put God first, to extend His kingdom in my family, in my church, in my community? What sacrifices might I have to make in order to extend the kingdom of God? And then go to God and say, God, I'm going to seek first your kingdom. And I'm going to trust that you will add all these things to me as I need them. Jesus taught us not to serve money. He taught us to serve God, not affluence. Next, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10 verse 40 says, uh, it talks about Martha. Jesus is at Mary and Martha's house, good friends of his. And here Jesus teaches us to serve God, not activity. So here, Mary and Martha, two sisters, friends of Jesus. They love Jesus dearly. Jesus comes to visit them. Martha is consumed with with serving and taking care of the hospitality. Look at verse 40. It says, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. She's worried about being hospitable, probably making a meal for everybody, um, making everybody comfortable, and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? If you look at verse 39, it says that um, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. She says, Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. What is Jesus' response? It says, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus teaches us not to serve God, or to serve God, but not activity. You know, just because you're active doesn't mean that you're truly effectively serving God. You say, well, I'm busy at church. I'm at church all the time. I'm serving in this ministry or that ministry. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But do you realize if all the doing comes at the expense of your getting into God's Word and fellowshipping meaningfully with Him and His Word, if it comes at the expense of you spending time with Him in prayer, that's that's not what Jesus is looking for. Jesus would rather you, first of all, come to Him, spend time with Him, deepen your relationship with Him, before you get busy. Remember Jesus? He was up late healing people. He knew he was going to have a busy day the next day, probably. So what did he know he had to do to prepare for that busy day? Get up early and pray. Because without prayer, without spending time in fellowship with God, our activity is ineffective. Jesus wants us to serve God not activity. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, I'm busy at church, so I'm serving God. I'm a good Christian because I'm serving God. I'm so busy. Not if it comes at the expense of your personal walk with God. 
What does Jesus teach us about service? Well, to serve God, not another. To serve God, not affluence. To serve God, not activity. And then go over to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. He teaches us to serve others and not self. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus is giving his disciples here a lesson on leadership. He says, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know not that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they are great, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. So he's talking about the Romans, for instance. They, they had a hierarchy of command. Caesar and his, his military officers and the centurions, and, and they, would, they would put their, their authority over people and, and make them do what they wanted and to, and to, to cause them to serve and obey their, their commands. But Jesus says in verse 26, But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Verse 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Does that sound familiar? Mark ten forty-five. Jesus said, Don't serve yourself. Serve others. This is the principle of servant leadership. If you're going to truly lead in Christ's kingdom, you have to learn to serve. You first have to learn to give of yourself. But what is the result of serving Jesus? Look over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 26. You say, well, this sounds really dismal, Josh. What are you trying, are you trying to motivate us to serve? We've got to give up so much. We've got to sacrifice our life for others. Are you trying to really motivate us to serve? Well, John chapter 12, verse 26, it, it says this. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Wow. Did you get that? It says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, read out that next phrase with me. There shall also my servant be. When we serve Jesus, the the closeness of the fellowship that we get to enjoy with him As we follow Him, we're with Him. As we serve, we deepen our relationship, our connection with God. And that's not something that can be replaced by by money or anything else. It's got to come from a heart that's following Jesus. And it says, if any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Hey, who are the people that we remember the most in history? The the Christian leaders of the past that we remember the most, who are they? The the Hudson Taylors, the D.L. Moody's, the famous Christian preachers or, or, or movers and shakers, so to speak. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. 
We remember these men. Why? Because they served. Because they gave their life a sacrifice for others. It says, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Do you want to do something so big and so great that people will remember you for 100, 200, 500 years down the road? Then you've got to serve. You've got to serve. And that's what Jesus calls us to do as his followers. For 2,000 years, people have been talking about a man born in relative obscurity, living in the little town of Nazareth much of his life, because he gave his life to minister and as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ totally turned the world upside down because he gave his life to service. God wants us to sacrifice and to serve. And then third, he wants us to use our spiritual gifts in the local church. And this is how we accomplish our purpose. God has created the church through which believers are to serve. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the proclamation of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, this rock of Jesus Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus created his church to do his work, to accomplish his purposes in the world, and he's given every believer spiritual gifts with which we are to serve in and through the local church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says, But unto every one of us, that is believers, every believer is given grace, extra strength, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And he gave these gifts for the perfecting or the completion, the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the the building up, the encouraging of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or complete mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Last week we talked about the amazing reality that Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Savior, He is working in your life to take the sin out and to make you more righteous, to transform your life, to make you more like Jesus Christ. And this week we want to focus on the fact that God also not just on that that micro level, individually changing us, but as a macro level, as a church. Jesus is working in us to make this church more and more like Jesus Christ. And to do that, we all have to use the abilities that he's given us, these spiritual gifts that he's given us, so that our church can be complete, mature, accomplishing the purpose that he has for Calvary Baptist Church in Bayswater, Victoria. So what are spiritual gifts? God wants us to use our spiritual gifts as we sacrifice and serve for Him. So what are our spiritual gifts? Well, a spiritual gift, simply stated, is a God-given ability for service. A God-given ability for service. Um, It's not necessarily a place of service. Just because you have a position at a church doesn't necessarily mean that you have been given by God that special ability to accomplish that, that service in that position. It's not just an office. You could be elected as an officer of the church. 
That doesn't necessarily mean that you have the spiritual gift for that office. It's not a particular age group ministry. Now, some of us, you might be talented working with kids. You might be talented working with youth. But that's not necessarily a spiritual gift. We're, we're talking about something a little different. It's not a specialty technique. Fiona has been gifted with music. She is a great musician. That's not what we're talking about. What is a spiritual gift? It's not a natural talent. It's a, give, a, a gift given by God for us to serve in the church. Spiritual gifts, not a natural talent. They are supernatural, given by God for our work in the church. So what are the spiritual gifts specifically? I want you all to go over to Romans chapter 12. Please, everybody, turn to Romans chapter 12. And these are a list of gifts that God has given to his people so they can accomplish the ministry in the local church. Now, I will say this is not a complete list of the spiritual gifts given in Scripture, but I will say these are the important ones. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of confusion around spiritual gifts out there, even a lot of sensationalism. And I believe if the Apostle, if the Apostle Paul were here today, he would, shoot, he would encourage us to, to focus on the gifts that edify others, that build up others. And we find these edifying gifts in Romans chapter 12. And I want to ask uh, some, some people to come up here and help me, if I could do that. Uh, so, Winner, would you c- mind coming up here and helping me? Could you come? I, it's very simple. You just have to hold a piece of paper, okay? And uh, Orlando, would you mind coming up as well? Just simply holding a piece of paper. Come stand right here by this beautiful flower, and people can take pictures of you and post them on social media. No, don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, all right, so, uh, Orlando, if you come on this side, I'll make a line here. Okay, so we have... First of all, prophecy, the ability to speak forth God's word, to, to preach God's word, ministry, to serve. Uh, who else should we get? Can we get Adele? Can I get all my, my uh, youth people up here? Who else is in here? Blake? Blake, would you mind coming up? So, Adele. Gift of okay, teaching. So, teaching, the ability to teach. So, Adele, she has this amazing ability that God's given teach our kids. So Fiona's out of a job in Little Sprouts. We're having Adele come in. Exhortation. Blake is such an encourager. He has the ability to just come alongside of people and and they may be down and just encourage them to keep going. Uh, Who else can we get? Loveland, would you mind coming up? Loveland is an amazing, she's a very generous person. She has the gift of giving, all right? So she just has this knack of knowing when to give to people, and she maybe even has a little bit of a knack financially to, to figure things out there. Uh, Brother Joshua, would you mind coming up? And then Havala, if you would come up as well. So Havala, if you would stand here at the end, we'll give you mercy. And then Brother Joshua, if you could just switch around. There you go. All right, so ruling or administration. So Brother Joshua, he has this God-given ability in the church to help run things smoothly, keep things organized so it's not chaos. Havla, she has this gift of mercy. She can spot a person who is depressed or, or discouraged. She can spot them a mile away, and she just has this ability to come alongside and just lift them up and encourage them. All right, so we have prophecy, ability to preach, ministry, service, just a, a servant heart, teaching, the ability to, to expound God's word, exhortation, to, to come alongside and build up, Giving, generosity, mercy, coming alongside of of people that are down, and then ruling or administration. That's all found here in Romans chapter 12. So look at verse um, 
Look at verse 6. And this is where we see all of these, these gifts. It says, Having then gifts differing according to grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So if God's given you that gift, then do it. Use it according to the, the proportion, the, the, what God's given you, use it to a full proportion. Or of ministry, let us wait on our ministering. So if you have the gift of, of serving, give yourself to that. He that teacheth on teaching, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth to him, let, it, him uh, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. All right, so here's our, our spiritual gifts. Now, um, Sister Helga, if I could use you for an illustration. All right, since you're in the front row here. I'm going to just pretend, okay, so I'm going to pretend that uh, we've concluded the service and now it's time for our, our tea time, all right? And so Sister Helga, she gets up, and she's going to go to the back. She's going to get a couple and maybe some, some snacks or whatever. And as she turns to go, she trips on the chair leg here, and she falls down. She has a spill. So everybody is talking, having a good time, and all of a sudden, Sister Helga falls, and it's silent. Everybody turns to look at Sister Helga, make sure she's okay. Okay, so now here's what, here's what happens. Winner... He has the gift of, of prophecy, speaking forth the word of truth. He comes, and he comes up to Sister Helga, and he says, You should not have fallen. You should have stood firm. You should have persevered. Okay, he's got that gift. His mindset is, do the word of God. Be strong in the word of God. All right, so uh, Orlando comes along, and he says, Oh, oh. Can I help you? Let me, let me help you get back up. Uh, here, sit, here, come, let's sit down in this chair. He comes along. Immediately, he jumps into service action. He wants to help serve and make sure she's, she's back up. And Adele, she's got the teacher in her. She says, Helga, if you had, so if we, you know, if we had moved the chair a little bit and you had taken your foot out here, you gone around the chair, then you wouldn't have tripped if you had circumvented the chair. All right, Blake? He says, oh, oh no, you, you've fallen. That's okay. That's okay. You, you don't have to fall next time. Okay, next time, you, will, you won't fall. We'll, we'll make sure the chair's out, that, that you'll see the chair. You won't fall. Loveland, she comes along, and, oh, is there anything I can do for you? Can I give you something? Can I help you? Uh, do you need a Band-Aid? Are you, are you hurting anywhere? Havila comes along, and she just comes along, and she just sits down next to Helga, puts her arm around here, and says, it's okay. It's okay. You didn't mean to. It's okay. And then Brother Joshua, he comes. I keep telling Brother Tim the chairs are too close. If we would widen the chairs, she wouldn't have fallen. Things would have been okay. All right, so now, do you see what happens, though? Everybody has a different gift that's been given to them. A bit of a different take on the same situation. Now, we can do one of two things. We can either all fight over who's right and who's, or we can say, you know what? Everybody has a good point. Everybody together, working together, makes sure that, that Helga is okay. Make sure that she knows next time what, what to do so she doesn't trip. Uh, maybe what we need to do organizationally to, to, to make the chair so that nobody else will trip. But do you see what happens we, when we have teamwork? Everybody working together 
It makes things click. Now, what happens when we only have three people? And Brother Joshua, could you go sit down, please? Kavala, could you go sit down? Blake? Orlando? We have some people, they have the gift, but they're not using it. Helga falls down and she has no mercy, Havla, to come around and put her arm around her. She has no Orlando to, to come serve, make sure she's got a chair. Thank you guys, you can go sit down. Thanks, Wayne. You see what happens when, as a church, we don't use all of our gifts. We're not effective. We're not complete, mature, helping the needs of our church and the community. God wants us to sacrifice and to serve using our spiritual gifts. This is our purpose as a church. Your purpose individually is to be like Jesus in all of his love, his mercy, his grace, his patience, his justice, his righteousness, his truth. That's what God wants for you. And if you don't know him personally, if you haven't started a personal relationship with him, that's where you need to start. And he'll fill your life with all of those things. And if you know Christ, your primary purpose in life is to serve God through his local church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in the Word. And I just pray that you would speak to our hearts even as we think about Jesus' example and the purpose that you have given us in his body, his church. Lord, I pray that you would Strengthen us. There are many in this church using their gifts. We praise you for them. We pray that you would strengthen them and and help them, Lord. We pray for those maybe who aren't as involved as as they should be. Lord, that you would just come alongside them in your Holy Spirit and encourage them to be a blessing to others, to to use their gifts so that the church might be effective. And Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, they don't know the peace and the love that you can truly bring to their life, Lord, I pray that they would understand what they're missing and seek someone out so they can know you, the one true God.
I'll allow you to continue in prayer privately for a moment before we sing the final hymn. But I would ask you to consider your life. Is it a life of sacrifice? Is it a life of service? Is it a life using your spiritual gifts for the Lord Jesus Christ? We talked about earlier what would happen if you had no left foot, right foot, whatever, no limbs. The church, if it misses some of the spiritual gifts, it's like a body without a limb. It's not as effective. As you finish praying, if you would open your hymnals to hymn 316. And as you...